welcome back. Um, I'm glad to be with each and every one of you tonight and um, yeah, to be here for Good Friday. Um, as you know, COVID instructions, uh, keep your masks on, maintain social distancing, and we will leave through a different door. Um, usually in Village, we like to keep things fun, relaxed, informal, but there are a few times in the year when we intentionally shape out the gathering um, in a more structured way. So tonight is one of those times, obviously. So there will be some responsive parts from, the, from time to time throughout. Do keep your eye on the screen um, for parts we'll say out loud together. All the words in yellow are words we'll say together. So the service of Tenebrae means darkness or shadows. It's been practiced by the church since medieval times. Uh, once a service for the monastic community, Tenebrae later became an important part of the worship of all Christian people during Holy Week. Tonight, we join Christians of many generations throughout the world using the liturgy of the Tenebrae. Tenebrae is a meditation on Christ's suffering. Through our songs and readings, we will allow our hearts and imaginations to enter the denial, aloneness, suffering, and crucifixion of Jesus, all while the power of the silence and darkness suggests the drama of this momentous day. As lights are extinguished, we will ponder the depth of Christ's suffering and death and leave anticipating the joy of ultimate victory. At the end of our time together, we will hear the pronouncement of Jesus' death. And after, we would ask that you leave row by row in silence as we try to maintain that somber atmosphere and reflection on Jesus' death. Um, in a minute, Thomas is going to sing a song, uh, but it's a time of reflection for us, so you don't need to join in. The light has come into the world, and the world loved darkness rather than light. God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Lift up your hearts. We lift them unto you.
This reading is from Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. God showed his love for us in this. Christ died for us. Thanks be to God. and prayer on the denial of Jesus. This reading is from Psalm 31 and Matthew 26. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take away my life. But I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two tons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul 
is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. God showed his love for us in this. Christ died for us. Let us silently meditate on prayer on the loneliness of Jesus. This reading is from Isaiah 53 and Matthew 27. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteem him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting their, together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. 
And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. God showed his love for us in this. Christ died for us. Thanks be to God. Let us silently meditate in prayer on the suffering of Jesus. This reading is taken from Psalm 22 and Matthew 27. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stir and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. As they went out, they found a man of Serena, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, and when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests, with the scribes and elders, mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. 
and the robbers who were crucified with him also reveled him in the same way. God showed his love for us in this. Christ died for us. Thanks be to God. Let us silently meditate in prayer on the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, this morning I was out on a bike ride and because I wasn't paying attention and I was kind of showing off, I fell off my bike and I landed heavily on my, my knee, knee and my elbow. And I picked myself up as quickly as I could and got going again as fast as I could. And as soon as the embarrassment had worn off, the pain in my knee kicked in. And in a moment of exaggeration, I said, it's excruciating excruciating. We use that word all the time, don't we? When we stub a toe or, or have a toothache or a migraine, the worst kinds of pain that we can imagine. But have you ever considered where that word actually comes from? Excruciating. Literally means out of crucifixion. A form of punishment so unbearable, so vile, that it brought forth a new word for pain. John 19, 18 says, So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. There they crucified him. So much summed up in these four words. And we read them quickly, and we scarcely stop to take in exactly what crucifixion entailed. Roman crucifixion wasn't a quick execution. It was performed as a deterrent to other would-be criminals. And so the slower, more painful, more gruesome, more humiliating, more public, the better. Victims were left to hang until their eventual death from exhaustion and asphyxiation, which usually took several days. And often they were left hanging after they died, continue the humiliation and the gruesome spectacle. The Romans, you could say, had perfected the art of cruelty. 
A Roman senator called Cicero recorded that crucifixion was the most extreme form of punishment, and it was. As Roman capital punishments went, it was more extreme than decapitation by sword. It was worse than burning at the stake. It was even regarded as more severe as being torn to pieces by wild animals in the gladiatorial arena. At least that was swift. So despicable was it to civilize Roman thought that it was reserved for non-Roman citizens, rebels and slaves. Pone crucem servo was the command. Put the cross on the slave. Almost certainly the words that Pontius Pilate would have given before Jesus took up his cross. When that command was given, the torture began. In common practice, the prisoner was flogged first, the so-called half-death, because it had to stop short of actually killing the person. An officer with the title of lector was trained in the use of the flagellum, a weapon of terrifying effect. Its name in the, is the origin of the English word flogging. It consisted of a wooden handle with several long leather thongs, each having pieces of bone or chain sewn into them, designed for one purpose only, to tear flesh from bone. The number of strokes wasn't specified, nor was the location on the body that the, the victim could be struck, so long as the process didn't quite kill them. Then came the cross itself. For a common slave, they used a lower cross, but for a distinguished enemy leader or a rebel, as in the case of Jesus, they used the crux sublimis, the sublime cross, a much bigger cross, which raised the victim high off the ground and gave the grotesque show a wider audience. To maximize the humiliation, the condemned person would be made carry their own cross to the site of their execution, most often at the side of a, a busy, crowded road, or, as in the case of Jesus, on top of a hill. Once at the site, the condemned would be stripped almost naked to heap more humiliation and add the discomfort of exposure to the sun and insects. The soldiers after tying the victim's shoulders to the upright beam of the cross, then held their arms flat against the cross piece. Five-inch spikes were driven by a hammer through each wrist. Just in that tender part between the forearm bones. The legs were then stretched out, held down, one foot placed on top of the other, and a single spike hammered through both feet into the wood. And yet... Only after the cross was raised into position did the real agony begin. The screaming was unbearable to hear, one historian records the words of witnesses. Hanging on a cross in this way, it was nearly impossible to breathe. The only way a victim could catch a breath was by pushing themselves up into a more upright position with their legs. And then in this position, all their weight would be in their impaled feet and so too painful to bear the victim would let their weight fall back onto their arms. And for hours and hours and hours, this cycle of pain went on until finally too weak to move. 
the victim would die, gasping for air. On rare occasions, out of pity or boredom, the soldiers would hasten death by breaking the legs of the crucified victims, thus preventing them from resting their weight on their feet, and so they would suffocate quicker. There, they crucified him. How many times have we heard these words? How many times have we heard them and failed to consider the extent of their cruelty and violence? Failed to consider just what our Jesus endured. Now, please don't think that I'm enjoying saying these things to you or that I'm saying these things to shock or disgust you. My intention isn't to glorify the grotesque. But my intention is to cause you to stop and consider what Jesus went through for you. One of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, who abandoned him in his darkest hour, would later write, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds you have been healed. And so outside Jerusalem... God's city. The king of glory died the most slow, painful, humiliating, gruesome, and public death. The death of a slave, the death of a rebel, the death of one most despised. And as the Romans carried out their cruelty, little did they know that they were proving Jesus to be the fulfillment of the scriptures, proving him to be the Christ, proving him to be the savior of the world. As commanded by Jewish law in Old Testament times, when the high priest offered the sin offering for the people, because it represented the sin, it could not be burned on the altar of the tabernacle. Instead, the innocent animal was slaughtered and burned outside the camp representing how much God detests sin and to show how he removes sin from his people so that they can be in his presence once more. And it shouldn't be lost in us then that that Jesus suffered and died outside the city. C.H. Spurgeon comments that by dying without the gate, he might be proved to be the sin offering for his people. Think about that for a second. He was the sin offering for his people. The creator offered up for his creation. Make no mistake, God gave himself up for you. The guilt that was ours was heaped on him and he was led outside the city and slaughtered just like a sacrificial lamb so that we can go free. It's easy to think that God in this moment was being caught off guard, that this was somehow some kind of cosmic mistake. But this was always the plan. God was always in control. In every part of this process, his purposes were being advanced. And all these things took place that scripture might be fulfilled. God put himself there. God was impaled on that cross. The one through whom, by whom, and for whom everything that was made was made hung on that Roman cross in agony, gasping for breath. But even so, he remained in control. 
John 19 verse 30 tells us that it was only after the redeeming work was finished that he gave up his spirit. His life could never be taken away from him. It didn't leave him naturally. He gave it up. Jesus gave up his life. And yet, all of this physical punishment and torture that I've mentioned was nothing compared with the final straw. Jesus, God's own son, was forsaken by the Father. From eternity past, always in perfect intimacy and communion until this moment when darkness covers the face of the earth. And Jesus cries desperately into the darkness, My God, why have you left me? And out of the darkness, no response comes. God's silence is the final crushing blow landing heavily on the Lord Jesus. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we need never be. Then, when the King of glory, the creator of the universe, the Son of God, had received the fullness of God's wrath, he cried, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his life. It is finished. This was a common phrase in in ancient Greco-Roman society. When an artist finished a, a masterpiece, they would declare, it is finished. There was nothing more to add. The artwork was complete. When a prisoner was released from prison, it is finished, would be their declaration. Their sentence had been fulfilled. Recompense for their crimes had been made. When a debt or a bill was paid in full, it is finished. There's nothing more to pay. The debt is satisfied. And when Jesus declares on the cross, it is finished, he is as an artist putting down his paintbrushes. The masterpiece of our salvation is complete. There's nothing more to add, not one stroke. When Jesus, in his final words before his death, says, it is finished, He is definitively declaring over all creation that the sentence we deserved has been served. The recompense for our crimes has been made. And when Jesus suffered the flogging, the mocking, the beating, the crown of thorns, the humiliation, the nails through hands and feet, and the slow and agonizing death, being forsaken by the Father, he paid our debt in full. Payment has been made. Our debt was paid. The cost of paying our debt was excruciating. But the depth of the love that paid it is infinite. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross, but it was his love for us that held him there until the work was complete. It is finished. There, 
They crucified him. Let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, before your cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin. My iniquity that caused you to be made a curse. The evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the magnitude of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Your blood is the blood of incarnate God. Its worth is infinite. Its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. O Lord, sin is my illness, my monster, my foe, my viper. Born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with every thought. My chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light? The air supply breath. The earth bear my footsteps. Its fruits nourish me. Yet your compassions, O Lord, yearn over me. Your heart rushes to my rescue. Your love endured my curse. Your mercy bore my deserved punishment. So Lord, let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation. Bathed in your blood. Tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing together. Uh, we're going to sing When I Survey. So if you'd like to stand and, and sing.
before I finish with our last reading uh, tonight, can I just remind us that afterwards, normally we would, allow, we would love people to stay and reflect, um, but if we, can just, we can't with COVID and so on, so you can just leave row by row in silence from the back, and, and please try not to congregate outside. I know we desperately want to see each other, but we just can't do that right now. Uh, our last reading is from uh, Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, 
and yielded up his spirit. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen and laid it in his own new tomb, which had been cut from the rock. He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Jesus was dead. The sacrifice was complete. 